0: I am doing this at 2.39 in the afternoon on Thursday. So, by the way, this is Soups on Hockey. I'm Tyler Campbell, your host. They call me Soups. Some people do. Really didn't start till I was 26. That's a different story. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, before I start, uh, please subscribe. It helps me out a ton. I'm going to try in the next few months to turn this thing into a business. When I have subscriptions and I have downloads... It doesn't matter if you listen. As long as I've got people that are downloading and subscribing, that's what's very important. So, yeah. Welcome to the show. Uh, 239, now 240. Um, this is, I'm going to guess off the top here, this is going to be a two-hour show. I did a lot of notes for this, and I thought, yeah, this will, I'll just go write notes quickly here before lunch. And uh, it took me an hour and a half. That's how much I got to talk about. So best be warned, this could be a two-hour show, if not more. I guess you'll know. You'll be able to tell. So it's not like you'll be going into like, oh, I wonder how long this episode is. You're not a moron. I am, sometimes. Uh, like I said, I'm soup. Sometimes with me is my dog, Griffey. Uh, talk about him. Uh, I got a girlfriend named Steph. So if I reference Steph, just so you know, newcomers to the show, that's my girlfriend. I got a cat named George. Eh, George was adopted by me. George isn't mine. She was Steph's, but she's adopted by me. She's a big fan. She's a big fan. I'm not really a cat guy. She's awesome. You know, there's always exceptions to the rule in life. She's an exception to the rule. She's an awesome cat. So if I speak fondly of her, doesn't mean that I'm some whack job cat fan. Maybe I am. I have been known to wear... My ice or <laughs> isolated insulated gloves with flip-flops this time of year. And people probably look at me like I'm crazy. I'm not. I don't think. I do see a psychologist. But I'm not crazy. I don't think. Uh yeah, no. Thanks for listening. I'll just get it started, cause there is a shit ton to talk about. And this is, you know, notice off the start, I didn't say, well, it's Soups on Hockey, but sometimes I call it Soups on Oilers. That guy's a fucking loser. Uh, yeah, this is Soups on Hockey. Gonna be Oilers talk, but for those of you sick of the Leafs, boy, is the start of this podcast not for you. Mike Babcock is fired. Um, okay, so first of all, I think Babcock is still the premier coach in the National Hockey League. I have had that opinion for a decade, if not more. I look at what he did in Anaheim. I look at what he did in Detroit. And I look at what he did in Toronto up until this season. And I go, yeah, that guy's the best coach in the NHL. Think about how he won in Anaheim. It was an even more boring version of New Jersey Devils hockey than the New Jersey Devils played in 2003. Nearly won that team full of nothing. Nearly won them the cup. They had Paul Correa, past his best before date, thanks to concussions, not any fault of Paul's. Um, you know, they had the Michelin man in net, J.S. Chaguer. But they had nothing. And they were boring as f- fuck to watch. But they went to game seven, the final. And that was Babcock's doing in 2005, the fall of 2005 or summer of 2005. He went to Detroit. Brian Burke took over in Anaheim. New ownership was in Anaheim. Uh, Brian Burke let him go to Detroit because he knew Detroit wanted him. And Babcock didn't want to coach the way Brian Burke wanted his team to play. So, goes to detroit he wins a cup in detroit he should have won two like he definitely that 09 cup win by Sidney crosby and the penguins the dirty little secret there is that the penguins were the second best team in that series and how detroit didn't win back-to-back cups that year i just i don't know it was pretty clear they were the better team in my opinion uh and yeah, he did a phenomenal job in Detroit. You know, it wasn't just the developing, it was it was Mike Babcock's coaching. Um Yeah, and then he goes to Toronto. Toronto in 2016, people forget this. That team that got neutered throughout the season as they were attempting to burn what was left down to the ground. He had them competitive Like, they they were 30th, but they were, at the end of the season, they were fighting every night. And they damn near passed the Oilers, which would have been really humiliating for the Oilers. Like, 29th was better at the time, I know. But anyway, like, so that team, even though they were 30th, they were a lot better 30th place team than most expected them to be. Most like it was very, very clear from the start of that season they were rebuilding. They were not trying to win. And they and they were really competitive most nights. Then the next season they make the playoffs with a team that hadn't you know should have had no business making the playoffs. And then 2018. You know, I remember at the start of that season. That's when I kind of went, "Going okay, like this team shouldn't have made the playoffs. They're probably going to regress a little bit here." Hundred and five point season. They were outstanding. Again, Babcock's coach for that. Last season they did digress, although in the playoffs it was clear they were a much better playoff team. For five of the seven games, I felt they were they outplayed Boston. I felt they were the better team in that series despite coming out on the short end of the stick. And Boston went to game seven of the finals, and Boston probably should have won the cup. So what does that tell you? Like That's just me trying to look at it realistically. So I think Babcock's still the best coach in the game. Having said all of that, I think this had to be done because I think one of the big problems with the Leafs right now is nobody's on, on the same page in the organization. And I don't get why this wasn't done after the playoffs when it was obvious Sheldon Keefe was going to take over as coach. They gave him a monster contract to coach an AHL team. Really? Like, that is a... <laughs> and that's, that's kind of where Dubas is screwed up as a GM to this point. You know, I'm not ready to, you know, point my guns towards uh, Kyle Dubas like a lot of people are, but that is where Dubas has fucked up is, is he hasn't, he hasn't taken into consideration a relationship. And I mean, that's kind of typical of the analytics crowd. Is there not, and I don't think Kyle Dubas really falls into that crowd, but Kyle Dubas way to build a team is aligned with them. And the problem with it is it doesn't take into consideration uh, personal relationships. Well, what's going to hurt a personal, personal relationship more than signing a guy to be your AHL head coach in a contract that is basically saying, hey, you're here to take Mike's job. That's a red flag. That's a red flag for Mike. That's a red flag for the players. That's a red flag for everyone. Should he let Keith go? I don't know. I don't know. But it wasn't, it wasn't a good look at the time. And so I don't know why you don't just say, okay, look, Mike, this is my guy. This is who I want as head coach. I think you would, you know, I think it's best for the organization that you leave right now. So, I, I mean, I was saying that at the time. Not to pat myself on the back, and I've been doing a lot of that these days, and I'm going to do it throughout this podcast. Because there are some things that, for whatever reason, now I look right on. You know That'll come back to bite me in the ass in the weeks and months and years to come. I'll get a lot of shit wrong. Last year, for example, I was getting a lot of shit wrong. Now, all of a sudden, today, it looks like I'm getting a lot of shit right. Just the way the world works. Uh, Yeah, but I don't understand that at all. Um, And like I said, it's likely why the Leafs have been maybe the number one reason why the Leafs just haven't been right all season. And it's just like the Oilers last season. Like last season, even though the Oilers got off, I think after their first game in November, which was in Detroit, and they won convincingly, and they were 8-4-1, and and they had a meat-fucking-grinder of a schedule in October. And they came out of that plus one game in November 8-4-1. and nobody was talking about how great the Oilers looked. Even though it was a fucking miracle that they came out of that 8-4-1, at best, I would have said 500. And I'm sure I did write that and say that on a podcast. At best, if they go 500, that team would be in great shape. And they were 8-4-1. One of those four losses was a Bad loss to Minnesota at home. Like, they should have been 9-3-1. <laughs> like, they were, they were getting blood from a stone to start last season, in fairness to Todd McClellan. And yet it just never felt right, for whatever reason. It never. I was the only one saying that at the time. And that's not a pat on the back. I was wrong. I was the one saying, when's this team going to get the respect they need? Because, like, this this team's pretty damn good. And just nobody felt good about them. And then they collapsed. And, and it was right after that Detroit game when the collapse started. It kind of slowly, they lost to Washington, but they played well. They lost to Tampa, but they played well. And then they lost a stinker to Florida. And then they came home and they lost a real stinker to Colorado. And then they beat Montreal. <laughs> and then the game in Calgary happened. And, oh, shit. That was the end. The next night against Vegas, the no-show, that didn't help Todd's cause either, but that game against Calgary, which I'm going to talk about a little bit later here, that game was was Todd's undoing for sure and exposed him as the average coach that I believe he is. But anyway, but it, it was the same thing. Everybody was walking on eggshells because everybody knew... That the guillotine was about to be unleashed. Just a matter of when. Shirely and McClellan needed to go after the 2018 season. Mike Babcock needed to go after the 2019 season. Why do you bring guys back with a fucking gun to their head? It is piss poor management. And I hate saying that because I'm a big Kyle Dubis fan. Might not have been, maybe, you know, knowing that Kyle Dubas is such a Sheldon Keefe guy, it might have been Brendan Shanahan that's saying, whoo woo whoo Mike Babcock's my guy, you're going to keep him. That's very likely what happened. Knowing that Shanahan was who brought in Babcock. And, yeah, anyway um just reading through my notes again okay so as for how the Leafs are going to do for now Keith's going to get them pointed in the right direction I don't know if it'll happen tonight or you know this weekend or anything but he's they're going to be a more cohesive unit as this season rolls on scoring's going to go up I doubt their defensive play improves like I think they're going to end up being a 100-point team now right where everybody had them. But it doesn't change the fact that this team is real easy to play against and Dubas needs to fix that. Uh, one trade idea that I've had for a while now, Willie Nylander for Josh Anderson. Now, I don't know if either team is interested in doing that trade, but that's what I'd look to do. Straight up. Well, maybe not straight up. Maybe Maybe if you're Toronto, you get a pick or two thrown in there. But which I don't know if Columbus would part with because they're pretty depleted on picks. Um, But, I mean, the main thing is to get Anderson for Nylander. Uh, The Leafs would get a legit power forward who's tough to play against but can still fill the net. He'd be a good complement, I think, especially for Tavares. And it wouldn't be a good fit with Matthews, I don't think, Uh, but really would fit well with... With JT, maybe then you could put Marner with Matthews. Uh, but yeah, it it gives him a legit power forward. Uh, it frees up over five mil in the cap this season. Anderson's an RFA after this season. So then Dubis with that five mil, maybe he could look to add another player like that, like a Chris Kreider maybe. And or he could go get a quality backup. Or he could just, you know, improve the depth. You know, it, maybe you ship out a, I don't know, um, trying to think of their bottom six, and it's kind of in a state of flux uh, all season. But you know, maybe you maybe you improve over a Zach Hyman, who's not a bottom six player, but probably will be now. You know, it's just one example, right? So, yeah, you know, maybe you improve over Freddie the Goat and you look to bring in a quality third slash fourth line center, you know, and you move Kerfoot to the wing or something, although Kerfoot's played really good for them. Um, yeah, something along those lines, right? Cause I I think that's what they need. They need a little bit more depth. They need to change the makeup of the team a bit. Doesn't mean you can't have guys like Taveras and Matthews and Marner still doing their thing. Of course you can. Of course you can. But you need to have the right mix. Fuck St. Louis, Washington, Pittsburgh, Chicago, LA, Boston. All these teams that have won the cup in the last decade. What have they had in common? They've had depth and they've had the right mix. They haven't gone too heavy in any direction. You could say, well, the Penguins have, you know, the Penguins just built on speed. And yeah, that's, that's true. But like they weren't the most finesse team. They had some gamesmanship in their lineup. Think of Patrick Hornquist, for example. You know, like guys like that. It's one example off the top of my head. I'm sure there are several others with the pens. You know, the other thing is, too, they were a veteran team. The Leafs are not a veteran team. They do not have much experience in that room. Tavares has some experience. Muzzin's won a cup, but there ain't much beyond that. Freddie Anderson's played in the conference finals before. That's it. Like that's that's about where it stops. you want to say Spetz went to the finals, okay, but I mean Spetz will probably be better under Sheldon Keith, but I don't think Spetz is gonna take off miraculously here. Spetz is slow on a perimeter player. That's why Babcock's always hate or Babcock never liked him. You know. So, um, what else? What else on the Leafs? Well, I mean, the one point that I, would, I did want to make just closing on Dubis, is he needs to quit focusing on getting value everywhere. And like that mindset is outstanding when you're rebuilding, but also when you're still climbing, you might not necessarily be rebuilding, but you're still climbing towards being a, a true contender. But that part is done for the Leafs. They're in win-now mode. And when you're in win-now mode, you'll have to sacrifice here and there. You can't just pick up Nick Patan and say, well, we're going to pump and dump Nick Patan. Like, sorry, you got to win hockey games, Kyle. Like, you know, that you can still find value But the days of hey, we're gonna pump and dump Nick Patan. No, those that's that's done with. You gotta win hockey games, man. Maybe once you're established as a as a high end team, you know, and maybe you've won a cup. Maybe then you can get back to doing that. Those sort of things to kind of squeeze more value, you know. So you've got more trade ammo and whatnot. But right now, you you can't do that stuff. And, I mean, it's not to not to necessarily say, I mean, that was a trade he made last year. But I think that's where Babcock and Dubas really fell apart, was Babcock was hoping to get the mix of his lineup, especially up front, changed a little bit. And Dubas didn't do that. Dubas instead said, hey, we get value for getting Nick Patan for fuck, who even was it? Was it Par Lindholm, maybe? can't remember exactly who it was, but it was just like a, it was one of those deals where, yeah, I guess you win, but you didn't improve the team. You know, and that's, yeah, you just, you just can't happen anymore. But I don't know. Like maybe now Nick Batan's going to take off under Sheldon Keefe because he's going to get a chance. But the other thing I was thinking, of, and this might be the most important thing with the Leafs right now. And I'm probably going to get some backlash from some buddies on this. Austin Matthews. And I can't think of a center who didn't thrive with a complete game, not talking about his production, but a complete game under Mike Babcock. I cannot think of one except for Austin Matthews. And again, he thrived. It's not to say he didn't thrive, but his game was one-dimensional or is one-dimensional. When Austin Matthews was drafted, the calling card was that he was a complete center. You know, the one thing that I thought is he's not really, a, a you know, your typical American player. Because a lot of American players, uh, the mold for an American player, I'd say, is... is Fast and offensive, you know, real speedy and really, and it's not all of them, but it's a lot of them. There, it, it, seems, it seems to me from afar, without actually running the numbers, that a lot of Americans play a very similar style. And Austin Matthews kind of wasn't that guy. He was more of a Canadian-type player when he was drafted, where he's more of a complete player. Um, he got comparisons to guys like Kopitar and guys like Ron Francis. Complete centers. But he's not at all like those guys. And if he was ever going to develop that under a coach, it would be under Mike Babcock. But he's not Kopitar, is not Francis. He's, I've said this before, he's Stephen Stamkos. And which to me... In terms of a superstar player, keep that in mind. Keep the context in mind here. In terms of being a superstar player, calling someone Stephen Stamkos from me is not a compliment. It's not an indictment, but it's just kind of figuring out where he actually stands as an NHL player. Like I don't like shoot first centers. I always was much more down on Stamkos than most. And I feel like that's been proven as the years have gone on. Stamkos hasn't really been impactful for the Lightning positively or negatively. He's been their top sniper, but other than that, I mean, he's been surpassed by Nikita Kucherov as their best player, and Victor Hedman and Andre Vasilevsky. Yeah, he's still still a hell of a player, but I mean, for years before John Cooper started in on it, I swear I was saying Stamkos to me seems like much better fit on the wing. And then in the I think it was the twenty fifteen playoffs, first time I remember hearing about it, him and Cooper were button heads because Cooper wanted him on the wing. Yep, he should be on the wing. He's his 200 foot game is not developing at all. It's average at best, and that's being very generous. He's a shoot first guy. Like, what? Why the fuck? You're a winger, man. And he was adamant. No, I'm a center. Okay. If you're going to be a center, be a fucking center. Play the position. And I'm sure that is what drives coaches nuts with some of these guys Mike Medano and Ken Hitchcock. Hitch, Hitch. Turned him into a complete center, probably because Madonna was coachable. Steven Stamkos doesn't seem that coachable. It doesn't seem like a guy who's causing a, a fuss, you know, publicly. Well, obviously not publicly, but I don't think Steven Stamkos has been a huge headache for John Cooper, but he also has never developed his game to be in an elite center, like he has the ability to do. And it's the same thing with Matthews. Now, Matthews, in fairness, is fourth year. But it is a little frustrating with Matthews that his game hasn't even been trending that way under Mike Babcock. And it makes me question how coachable the kid is. It makes me quite I always used to say this about Jordan Eberly. Jordan Eberly's game to me. I would always say he seems more hell-bent on, being, on having the highlight of the night than putting pucks in the net. And that's kind of what I feel with Austin Matthews is he feels like a guy who's more concerned about his image and about going bar down Sally, bud, rather than win cups, bud. Win hockey games, bud. No, no, bar down Sally's where it's at. And a lot of young players are like that. He's far from the only one. But Matthews is, has potential to be one of the premier players in the league. You know, Right now, for me, the top three, without a doubt, is in some order, McDavid, Crosby, McKinnon. You want to put McKinnon ahead of Crosby, fine. You want to put Crosby ahead of McDavid, fine. You want to put McKinnon ahead of McDavid, you're an idiot. But the other ways work. Matthew should be in that discussion and he's not. And I screamed again, I am separating my shoulder, patting myself on the back. I was screaming this last October while everyone in the hockey world was going, I don't know who I'd rather have between Matthews and McDavid. Are you fucking kidding me? All the guy's doing is scoring goals from the exact same spot on the power play. And you're fucking suggesting that he's as good as McDavid. Are you fucking drunk? You know, and everybody points to the Leafs defensive issues. Everybody loves to point, and they always say, You got to fix the blue line. You got to fix the blue line. Because, you know, hockey's played three on two, and forwards aren't allowed to come in the defensive zone, apparently. If you're the center, you need to be one of the best defensive players on the ice. That is what that position requires. That is what any coach will tell you. If you're a center, I'm not sure that you don't have to be the best defensive player on the ice. At least in today's game. Austin Matthews was not trusted by Mike Babcock to play tough minutes. That is a red fucking flag. And the only reason, again, I stress, the only reason I'm getting pissed is because this guy has the ability to to be elite. I will never question that the ability is there to be in the conversation with Connor McDavid. Do I think he could actually be at the same level or better than McDavid? No, I do not. I might be being an Oilers homer by saying that. But Austin Matthews absolutely should be in that conversation. And right now, he's not fucking close to it. He's not McDavid. He's not Dreisaitl. He's not Crosby. He's not McKinnon. You know, like Austin Matthews, uh, like I said, Steven Stamkos, maybe throw in a Tyler Sagan. But he ain't close. He ain't close to the best centers in the world right now. And he's not trending that way. Now, is that Babcock's fault? It's tough to suggest it's Babcock's fault. But it could be, and we'll see. But I'm going to say this right now. Leafs aren't winning a cup unless unless Austin Matthews wants to truly start winning. And stop just wanting to fill the net. Because in my opinion, at 11.6 mil a season, you might as well trade him. Because he ain't worth 11.6. You know what the dirty little secret is about the Leafs and part of their problem right now? Is that Austin Matthews ain't worth 11.6, and Mitch Marner might not be worth 10.8. But Mitch is a lot more worth a 10.8 or 10.9. It's close to 10.9, I think. He's a lot closer to being worth that than Austin Matthews is right now to being the 11.6. You ask me, I think Austin Matthews should be making 10, and Marner should be making nine. Marner in no way. I said this in the summer. And again, hate to sound like a fucking jackass. I've been on a roll lately. Uh, I'm wrong a ton. You know, just I write a lot. Go on to my blog, soupsonhockey.com. You can find a shit ton that I've got wrong. But one thing I got right, or that I feel like I'm very right on, it's still very early in the contract. Miko Rantanen. <laughs> Got far less than Mitch Marner. Miko Rantanen, any, and I am a huge Mitch Marner fan. Any fucking day of the week, I am taking Miko Rantanen over Mitch Marner. And Mitch Marner, I think, got 10.9 or 10.89 or whatever the final number was. Miko Rantanen got 9.25. That's it. 9.25 Nine point two five for the same length, same length the contract. He's way better than Marner. Like it is not debatable. You can say, "Well, Marner's, you know, Marner's a really skilled player." Yeah, that's fine. That is fine. Miko Rantanen is a better all-around player. It's not even close. Marner is slightly better at handling the puck and a and a slightly better playmaker. No, I'd say a a flat-out better playmaker. But Rantanen is still a good playmaker. Has an amazing shot and is a tremendous sniper. Is phenomenal on the wall and down low. He's an absolute beast. He is an awesome 200-foot player. It's not close between the two players. (laughs) And Rantanen Rantanen got damn near 2 mil a year less. Like, at best, Mitch Marner should be 9.25. At best, that's what he should be. And Dubas, like, I kind of don't blame Dubas because he was between a rock and a hard place. You know, like, everybody was screaming for him to sign these guys to these kind of deals. So it was kind of the Canada effect. Where guys, you know, in this country just get overrated. That just seems to be what happens. Ten point eight nine three, by the way, on Marner is what the official number is. Had to go look it up. But that's a dirty little secret. Those are the those are the two dirty little secrets is that Matthews isn't progressing as a center. And that he and Math or him he and Marner are probably chewing up three to four mil of the cap that they shouldn't be. Now, and again, in fairness, that's offset a bit, but you know, Freddie Anderson's not making as much as he probably should be. You know, there's some there's some bargains for the lease. Morgan Riley's another one. Morgan Riley is a massive bargain. Um. But yeah, it's it remains to be seen though when it comes to Matthews. It remains to be seen, or it will be seen now. It, did he just hate Babcock that much where he you know, didn't want to buy into what Babcock was selling? Or is Matthews just a me guy who doesn't really care about winning? Not so much a me guy, but just not, not the guy who's willing to do anything to win. We'll see. Like, you know, the thing that I hate is, you know, guys say, toughest thing to do in hockey, score goals. Like, it's not the only thing you, you have or that you need to do. So whenever there's like a floater out there who doesn't really do much else, I remember this was said with Phil Kessel when his contract was up. I remember this was said with Vlady Tarasenko when this was up. And I think it was Nick Kiprios both times. More people than Nick Kiprios have said this, but I remember Kiprios has always been adamant about that. Toughest thing to do in hockey is score goals. Like, as is some sort of justification for a guy only scoring goals? No, no. You've got to be as complete a player as you can possibly be, in my opinion. There's no reason not to be. Ah, but the toughest thing to do in hockey is score goals. It's not the only thing you need to do. Hate that. And and then you got this angle with the Leafs too. You know, is, is it possible that they were just simply a better team in 2018 before John Tavares? And think about what they had. You had Bozak and Kadri down the middle, which not only sheltered Matthews very well, but Kadri brought some greasy gamesmanship to the table. And so did Leo Komarov. And that's gone. You know, everybody talks about, well, the Leafs need size. They're too small and this and that. They don't have gamesmanship. You know, when I think of grit, I think of gamesmanship. You know, I don't need a Zach Hyman. I need someone who is greasy. Matt Kachuk, greasy. Brady Kachuk, greasy. I want that because the game rewards that these days. You know, with Drake Kajula, I remember when Drake Kajula was signed by the Oilers and everybody said, oh, yeah, he's a little bit like Brad Marchand. Like, no, just because he's willing to throw a hit doesn't mean that he's greasy. You want a guy who can draw penalties. You want a guy who can get the opponent off his game. You know, you don't just want, well, he'll throw a hit once in a while. He'll go to the tough areas. That's admirable and that's great, but... No, you need gamesmanship. Komarov and Kadri brought that for the Leafs. They got rid of it. Well, they let Komarov walk. Kadri, they traded it. Which, I I get both moves, but it's just like, you guys, you got to replace that now. JVR, JVR didn't match Tavares' production offensively, but he brought a lot of production to the table. And perhaps more importantly, wasn't a guy who the coaching staff would feel they had to get out there in all the big offensive situations. So that's another thing. And actually, this this all leads me to, you know, move away from the Leafs here, leads me to the Oilers quickly, and I'll double back to them here later. But the question being, do you want Taylor Hall? You're going to give Hall at minimum 11 mil per season, and I think it's going to be 12. I really believe it'll be 12 that Taylor Hall commands. Now they got a farm system in place that you can pull it off. They're set up to pull it off. But who's one building the way the Leafs have? Like since the Leafs have gone so top heavy, they haven't been as good despite Tavares being like, and again, Matthews isn't Tavares. There's another thing. You know, Tavares gets underrated with how good he is. Somehow, even in Toronto, he still gets a little bit underrated. I know I said this on the last podcast, but again, I'm bringing it up. And what would be better for the Oilers? Hall or, say, a combination of JG Pajot, Andreas Athanasiu, and re-signing Zach Cassian? And I think it's the latter. Because as bad as I want Taylor Hall back, and I do, the depth is far less sexy, but far more vital. And speaking of depth, it brings me to the team down south. Now, this is, if I'm talking about Calgary, I always rock a disclaimer. And today, the Calgary Flames disclaimer is brought to you by Flatbacks. Flatbacks, they're the worst A little shout out to the boys uh, like I'm not an anti-flames fan being an Oilers fan I pull for the Oilers and I want the Oilers to beat the Flames worse than any other team in the league but with that said I always hope and you can tell I'm stuffed up today by the way I'm sure nasally and breathing loud and oh, I always breathe loud but Yeah, you know, I'm a little bit I, I worry that I'm a little bit of a mouth breather. I don't want to be a mouth breather, man. People make fun of me. Bruce Arthur will bully me how I'm a mouth breather. And that'll be okay for Bruce that he bullies me intellectually. But, you know, dare I punch someone in the face. Oh, I'm the worst. But Bruce can, you know, mentally bully someone to death and or intellectually bully someone to death. And that's fine in Bruce's books, apparently. Um, I do not like that, man. And I don't know him, but he seems like the worst. Just like flatbacks. Flatbacks. Again, they're the worst. Give me the old badonkadonk. Anyway, with the Flames, I always hope the Flames are the same best team in the league. I, I just want the Oilers to beat them. That's it. I don't if, they're, if the Oilers and Flames aren't playing, don't wish any ill will towards the Flames. Maybe I don't want them to win the cup. You know, last year was tough to stomach the way that the Oilers were such a mess and the Flames were so great. But, you know, I think you know what I'm saying. I I don't, I don't really like, I don't dance. You know, that's something we've seen a lot of when Don Cherry got fired and then Mike Babcock got fired. People want to dance on the graves. Not a fan of dancing on graves. It's the, it's, you're a piece of shit. If you're dancing on a grave. Except for, oh, I got an uncle whose grave I would literally dance on, probably. I know that sounds like I'm a, whoa, and I'm a huge piece of shit. And I don't mean it literally, but yeah, he's, yeah. If I wanted to get into it, yeah, yeah, I'd probably... What wouldn't be many tears shed, that's for sure. But I am I'm, I'm tongue in cheek there. Hopefully nobody's gonna go, Oh my god, did you hear what you said? Oh shut up. Shut up. You know I'm half serious about I mean I hate the man, but <laughs> not gonna not gonna do that. And by the way, Uncle, I'm not talking about you. I'm sure you know that, but just in case. Nor am I talking about my Uncle Bill, which leaves only one other uncle that I have. So those of you who know the family Guess you figured... Guess you cracked the code. Um, Okay. Now, now that I did my disclaimer and I talked about whose graves I dance on and all that shit, now allow me to shit all over the flames. Well, I'm not really going to shit all over them. I'll start off by saying something nice. After tonight, I think they're going to win six straight. Look at the schedule. It's pretty buttery soft. If they... If they go anything less than 4 and 2 in the next 6, then it's probably time to push the panic button. But for right now, they're not in too bad of a shape. You know, they've they've lost to some really good teams here lately. So it's not that bad. But let's go back. Let's go back to the start of last season. And I kept asking why Everyone was so in love with such an inconsistent group that frankly had a ton of holes. I wrote a blog about it. I went down the list asking people why they thought this. Early in the season, I was looking right. Right up until November 17th. Then on November 17th, they came back. It was on a Saturday night. They came back to beat the Oilers. First half of the game... They tried to go toe to toe physically with the Oilers, and the Oilers didn't just win that battle. You could see, you could physically see that the Oilers were literally humiliating the Flames. Like, passes were missing. Simple passes were wildly missing because you could see the body language. They were so rattled. And up until that game, You think about 2017 and 2018. The Oilers fucking owned the Flames. Owned them. It wasn't close between the two teams. I can't remember the exact record. I want to say that the Flames had lost, let's see, the McDavid video review game they lost and in in OT or shootout, one of the two, and they lost... Let's see, that one, there was another shootout game in 2017. I think that's it. So I think the Oilers would have played them five times both years, or maybe, no, first year was only four. Maybe they only played them four times each year because it's weird with the division. Sometimes you play a team five times in your division, sometimes only four. But I think the Oilers were like seven and, yeah, seven and one in those two years against them. Something like that. It was it was a beatdown. So up in, up until the, the late in the second period of that game that night, November 17th of last season, the Oilers owned them. And then the Oilers took their foot off the gas, and you could see the body language with the Flames. It was like, hey, if we just skate and play our game, We can beat this team. And they slowly started to do that. And the Oilers let their foot off the gas. And the Flames ended up the third period. They completely dominated the Oilers. And from that point on, the Flames took right off. Over, and in fact, I've got stats for you. Including that game. Including that game. In a 32-game stretch from November 17th till the NHL All-Star break, the Flames went 23-5-4. They were averaging over four goals a game in that stretch. So if you take out that insane hot streak, that incredible heater, and you just look at the other 50 games of last season. They went 27-20-3, and three, which is very good. Rounding up, it's a 94-point pace, which is much more in line with who they truly are. That's still a fringe playoff team, you know, a bubble playoff team. And that's very good, but that's who they are. That is who they are. Not the game. And I don't have the numbers for what their shooting percentage was in that 32 games. But that in that stretch, they got nine against Columbus. They got eight against San Jose. They got six or seven against Vegas one night. Like, they were just shooting the fucking lights out. Their PDO had to be off the freaking charts. You know, like that... <sighs> It was a hot streak. It was an insane hot streak that got them to first in the West. That's it. That's it. And coming into the season, I knew this, and I think a lot of people knew it, but I'm not sure enough people knew it, if that makes sense, or enough people are giving that credit now. Because I look at them now, and it's like, for me, I'm like, well, they shouldn't push the panic button because this is kind of who they are. You know, and the Avs exposed them badly in the playoffs because they're not a team that does anything overly well. Like it, they're deep up front, they got a ton of holes. And they're not overly deep up front. Like they got a the the quality of the blue line. Blue line, the blue line doesn't suck. I'm not going to su- suggest that the blue line sucks, but it's overrated tj brody and i hope you know all the best for tj brody after his collapse sounds like everything's going good uh but he's never been the same guy since 2015 <sighs> sorry again the plugged up nose i guess i'm getting a cold Ah, oh, shit man anyway my apologies that's much better though i must say uh yeah, TJ Brody's never been that guy, yet everybody's looked at him as, yeah, TJ Brody, ah, that guy's a stud defenseman. No, in 2015 he was, playing with Mark Giordano. And then when Giordano got hurt, he was pretty good too. But he's never been that same guy. Travis Hamanek is a shell of what he was on the island. Not, to, And I'll get to more of that later here, but Noah Hannafin has been a bit disappointing to this point in his career. Like, I thought he'd be a stud top-pairing guy. Maybe not number one, but uh un, like an i was going to say underrated i didn't mean underrated but a uh unassuming number 1 or at least top pairing defenseman and he just hasn't become that guy and like i'm a big rasmus anderson fan but he's not ready yet so like what what does this team that over what does this team do that overwhelms anyone and the answer is nothing Like, they've got okay speed. I don't agree with Jeff Merrick that they're slow because I've heard Jeff Merrick say that a couple times now that they're slow and they look so slow. They're maybe not as fast as they were, but they're not slow. Uh, They got okay size, but definitely not a big team. Outside of Luch, obviously. Obviously. Uh, They got okay skill. They got okay toughness. They got an okay blue line. They got an okay goal or they got okay goaltending. They don't got an okay backup, in fairness to Cam Talbot. And it's clear Bill Peters does not trust Cam Talbot. They got okay depth. It's just all okay. So, like, what does that mean? It means that teams which do a lot of those same things at a high end or an elite level will own you. And a lot of those teams do most of those things okay as well, but they have, like, a first line that's amazing or a phenomenal goaltender or a loaded blue line. You know, like, I think of the team with the first line, Boston, Edmonton, Colorado. I think of the phenomenal goaltender. I think, you know, again, Boston, and I think Montreal and, you know, teams like that, or a loaded blue line, I think of Nashville, you know? Like, you know, or... like they they don't they don't really have a huge adv- like they've got advantages going into the games, but they don't have enough of an advantage anywhere. You know, and, and like and and the other thing is too, like maybe the one thing that Calgary does better than anyone is they're the best third period team in the league, and the whole comeback kids thing—it's very admirable. They don't quit. Yeah, they got a lot of heart. But, like, I'm sure by now, teams have figured out, you know, over the last five years, hey, this team's going to have, like, the biggest push possible in the third period. Uh, Be ready for it, guys. Like, you can't do that forever. And, like, they're still putting on big pushes in the third period, and it's still... They're still getting that. You know, think of the game in Nashville Uh, the other night against Colorado. They had a big one, you know, like, but it's, it's that well's going to run dry. And and I mean, obviously in saying all this, Goudreau isn't right. Monaghan isn't right. And that's fair. That's the big reason they're in the hole that they are right now, where they're, I think, 12th in the West in points percentage which is the most accurate predictor of you know, the standings right now or how the standings should uh, be set up. But like something I've been saying this season, which a lot of people are now echoing, or not echoing because nobody knows who the fuck I am, but people are saying it as well. Your five best skaters had career seasons last year. Without a doubt, that is unsustainable. It is amazing that they had two seasons like that in five years. 2015 and then last season. Like, a a freaking miracle. Everyone looks as though like they're regressing back to the norms. Like, it's, well, yeah. Like, of course they are. Like, five guys, your five best players, like, arguably, anyway, your five best players had career seasons. Career years. You can't expect that again. <laughs> so do you fire Bill Peters? Like, in, I don't think that's necessarily the move, but I, I think they're they're probably going to look at firing Brad Living. And I'm a, I've been adamant. I'm a big Brad Living guy, but you're starting to look at his resume now, and you're going, ooh. That Brouwer signing wasn't good. The Travis Hamadick trade was a train wreck. The the Neal signing was sure bad. The Neal for Lucha Schwab was even fucking worse. His next coach will be his third hire. Like, (sighs) clock's ticking on Brad Treliving. Don't forget, I think it was the 2016 offseason, pretty positive it was, that there was a lot of Curiosity around a Brad Trey Living extension or lack thereof happening. So I'm not positive ownership has ever been fully on the Brad Trey Living bandwagon. As I come to that point in the show where I look up how much time I've got left, ooh, 53 minutes. See, because I can only go an hour for those of you new listeners. And then I've got to stop it and then I got to, like, start it over. Like, it won't make a difference to your listening. But, but I mean, the final point I want to make on the Flames is, uh, you know, I wouldn't make any irrational decisions or quick decisions down there. Because I, I do strongly believe that they'll get it turned around. They are a playoff team. You know, I think they'll get going for sure. And can they win a series? Sure. They can win a series. They might... You know, David Riddich gets hot, they might win two series. But I've been saying this for years now. This team is set up to be a middle-of-the-pack team. They're the Minnesota Wild. What the Minnesota Wild were from 2013 to 2018, that's the Flames. It's a prime example of how a fluky year... What is? What did I write in my notes? <laughs> If you want to know why I'm staying on point so well, as opposed to my older podcasts these days, it's because I write a shit ton of notes. And I don't go by the script necessarily, but I do a shit ton of notes. Sometimes I'll write something that catches me off guard. Like, say, the phrase, fuck you, right in the middle of it. <laughs> I wonder why. Uh, but yeah, it, Why I put fuck you in there, I don't know. Maybe I was mad at myself. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) Like, 2015 fucked the Flames. Maybe that's what I meant. (laughs) But it did. And I'm not saying this needs to happen anytime soon. It doesn't. Because they're pretty well set up still. But I believe that eventually the Flames are going to blow this up and start from scratch. And the fans down there and the national media and everybody will be saying, like, they just pissed away a decade on average hockey thanks to 2015 making us all believe we had something we didn't. You know? Like, that. that's it. Like, barring that huge free agent signing that happens to pop available for them or that gift from the hockey gods of a trade that falls into their lap that just, you know, a Shirelli, you know, level... Moronic move from someone else. Then maybe they've got a shot at the. But I mean, it was never rebuilt properly. Never was. They needed more time. To- I don't know where I was. This seems see or this sounds probably seamless to you guys, but uh, fucking phone call comes in and oh, why this app allows phone calls while I'm recording is beyond me anyway, back to the task at hand. Um, Yeah, I I wasn't up an hour, but anyway, (laughs) uh, I'm really pissed off about this. Anyway, a couple things before I get to the Oilers. Um, Babcock, getting back to Babcock himself just for a minute. Uh, I doubt he coaches again this season. He could, but I think it's much more than likely. It's just like Joel Quinville last year where he sits back and picks his next spot. Probably no hurry. Take the rest of the season off. Study the game as much as you can. Maybe do some analyst work for Sportsnet uh, or NBC. But just you know, pick your spot. Just pick your spot. But that next spot, if there is one, it could be Nashville. And I have no idea. I said this to my buddy Larry Fisher on Twitter yesterday. I have no idea what or even if he has a relationship with David Poyle. But LaViolette looks like the leader in the clubhouse right now for the next coach to go. Nobody's talking about it. But he's in a sixth season, and that team just doesn't look right right now. And David Poyle has done a great job with the roster, if you ask me. That team's loaded up front, loaded on defense, have two quality goaltenders. They should be much better better than what they've been of late. Um you know what's left. Laviolette. So I like Peter Laviolette a lot, but he could be on the chopping block here cuz the preds are all about winning the cup. They're win now. They're not win now. They're win right fucking now. Cuz A lot of the core of that team ain't getting any younger. Uh, They're about to go into San Jose territory here where they'll have a shit ton of huge contracts on guys who are on the decline. Um, Buffalo. Can the media shut up about them now that they've gone back to where they always are? And I get that the media is pulling for that market, and I am too. That is a phenomenal hockey market. Maybe the best one in the States. But this year, even more than last, oh, Ralph Kruger is a genius based off getting fired on Skype and like having the connections to end up with a job for Southampton just because he knew the right people, literally just because he knew the right people. But because he knew the right people to get a job with Southampton that somehow made him an excellent NHL coach. Apparently like that's literally the logic. <laughs> I, I, I think Ralph Kruger sounds like, like the best guy ever. I don't doubt that that's the case. I have never been a fan of guy who's Jack of all trades, master of none. And that seems like Ralph Kruger. He is a jack-of-all-trades guy, but he's the master of none. He's not some amazing head coach. Can he be a quality head coach? Yeah. It's kind of like the Todd McClellan treatment. Like, oh, Todd McClellan is just the best coach. Is he the best coach, media? Or does he just treat you guys exactly how you want to be treated? Like, let's look at Todd McClellan's track record. Oh, he's done nothing in this league? Oh, okay then maybe he's just an average head coach. Not a shitty head coach. It's not to say that either one of those guys is a shitty head coach. Overrated doesn't mean sucks. It means overrated. Ralph Kruger seems very overrated. Todd McClellan is very overrated. Griffey's not happy that we've been hanging out sleeping all day. Well, I haven't, but Griff has. Griff doesn't like that. Griff wants to play. It is fucking play time, dad. And I want to fucking play. So he just woke up. He's looking at me. Oh, he's going to go jump on the couch. Maybe he is going to sleep a little bit longer. Yep, get up there, bud. Get up there. Get up there. Yep, look at these pillows. Hey, lay your head down. Get hair all over them. That'll be sweet. Then dad won't take a lint brush to it later. And then I'll be bitching about how you get hair everywhere when it's really my fault. Good boy, not a boy. It's my dog. That's my dog. Yeah, he ain't happy with me right now. Not not a fan of old dad. Griffman is, but anyway, back to the Sabers. Uh, yeah, like so they've turned. You know they've turned the corner under Ralph Kruger, and oh they've turned the corner based off a twenty-four year old rookie getting hot on the power play for a month. Every fucking time they look like they're slightly turning the corner, I hear from the Toronto media how wonderful they are. Let's say like, enough already. Frank Saravelli deemed them to be quote real in his real or fake piece earlier this season. No, Frank, they're not. And while I'm at it, Frank, why in the fuck does TSN employ you? Like, what is it that you do exactly? Like, what do they get out of it? Like, real or fake blogs? Blogs on on who you decide is, quote, the heartbeat of every Canadian team? Like, I don't look to shit on guys at all. But every time I see Frank Saravelli write something or on TV... And he's usually in Philadelphia, and it's on That's Hockey. And they go to Frank, you know, Gino asks him a question, and it's always, you know, Gino, a couple things that I've seen from – like. it's not Frank's fault for that, but it's always such a terrible segment. Like, I just – like, honestly, what does the guy bring to the table for them? And then, like, you know, you could say, well, he provides insight. Well, uh, yeah. Like, my mom can provide insight on the Oilers. It doesn't mean that it's good insight. My mom actually knows the Oilers quite well. She's a huge Oilers fan. You know? Like, like I've got, you know, I've got family members. They can provide insights on hockey. It doesn't mean they'll be good insights. Friends of mine. Very good friends of mine. They can provide insights, but, like, it doesn't mean they'll be good. Like, I've never heard Frank say anything that's, like, thought-provoking, really, truly insightful. Never seen him write anything where I go, oh, wow, Frank Cervelli, man, that's, that's a real good piece. Like, I don't know what he's doing there. You know, and and you know i've i've seen him shit on teams and shit on players and like you know not in a mean spirited way but then i just go like fuck what what is this guy doing on their airways anyway but you know leads me to the oilers because he deemed uh no other team on his real or fake list was fake Except for the Edmonton Oilers. The thing is, Frank, that doesn't seem to be panning out too well these days. And yeah, if that sounds like I'm taking glee in it, of course I am. Tuesday in San Jose. I know it doesn't appear to be that great of an accomplishment with how the Sharks started and where they are in the standings right now. But the reality is, Sharks have got rolling and they'd won six straight. And the Oilers didn't just win, they knocked them the fuck out. Like, that was decisive, how they beat them. Shots were, I think, San Jose outshot them, but the scoring chances in the game weren't close. The Oilers just crushed them. And I said it last week, and I feel stronger about it today. This team is looking for real. Now, what's for real? um, When I say for real, I mean looking like they're a playoff team. Not looking for real as in, yeah, they're for real where they are in the standings, which is fifth overall and first in the Pacific. No, no, they're not that for real. But they're looking for real as in, like, this team, I'm, I'm feeling confident they're going to make the playoffs. And I've maybe been their toughest grader to this point. Like, I keep saying, oh, look at the schedule. It just keeps getting tougher. And I'm still hesitant. I'm still hesitant. But they're, like, it's just, it, it's, You know, what is it? They've won four of six, is it? Yeah, four of six. The way they've won those four games is what it is. Beat down on Jersey. Beat down on Anaheim. Lost a stinker to San Jose. But then beat down. And actually, they're they're four, one, and one in those six games. But it was a beat down against Colorado, who was depleted as fuck. But still, you know, blew a game to Dallas. That they did. De- they might have. De- you might have said they they deserve to win that game. Yeah, first forty minutes they were up four two, probably should have been up four one, maybe even five one to that point. Now, awful third period, and I was livid about the third period. To come out of that game with only one point was shameful. Like they, they're to blame for the hockey game. But you look at the hockey game as a whole, they outplayed Dallas. You know, Koskinen let in, in my opinion, a weak goal to tie it. You know, I know McDavid didn't do a good job with the back pressure, but Koskinen still needs to stop that shot from Sagan. wasn't hard. It was accurate, but it wasn't that hard. That's a stoppable puck for an NHL goaltender. Not to shit on Koskinen too hard because he's been fantastic this season. Um, Yeah, I think they're for real. I think they're for real. Again, are they the top team in the Pacific? I think that's highly unlikely. Arizona has a game in hand. Is only three back. Not to mention Arizona will likely win on Sunday because they have a much easier back-to-back than the Oilers do as they play in L.A. at 2 o'clock in the afternoon Mountain Standard Time where the Oilers play at 8 Mountain Standard Time in Vegas on Saturday night. And then the game on Sunday is at 6. Like the fact that any team in this league has any games on that short a turnaround is asinine. And tonight could be a trap game. The Kings, for all the Kings' shittiness, they match up well with the others. Speaking of the Kings, though, actually, let's get on that for a second. I must say, this plan to rebuild around a 32-year-old Andrzej Kopitar and an about-to-be-30-year-old Drew Doughty is the absolute worst plan I've ever seen. (laughs) You might need another season of burning off contracts before you can even begin a rebuild. Putting Kopitar at 34 and Doty at 32. But let's build around these two aging superstars. Like, hey, Rob Blake, like, I'm not a GM. But neither should you be. And I might, at this point, I'm looking a little more qualified than you are to let you in on a little secret. Trade them. You'd get the world for them. And then, guess what? You're in a much better position to be good again. Like you're at the fucking bottom of the barrel right now with them. Trade them. You're not rebuilding around them. That is a fantasy that you have. You've got a system that's nowhere near ready. Have you put some good pieces in the system? Yep. But you have none on the big club. None. None. It looked like Adrian Kempe might be one. No, he's not. He's me. He's okay. He's just a piece, though. Rob Blake, I was a big Rob Blake fan growing up. Rob Blake is ruining that organization. And in fairness, maybe you can pin it on ownership. But ownership didn't hire a coach who literally done nothing in his decade behind the bench in the league to a five-year, $25 million contract. Ownership didn't demand that he sign a guy who was 35 and might as well have been wearing a fucking sign on his head or a hat that said, I'm coming back to North America so I can live in either New York or LA and I don't give a fuck about playing hockey to a three-year, $18.75 million deal. Rob Blake did that. King's ownership didn't. Philip Anschutz didn't do that. Rob Blake did that. Anyway, watch them beat the Oilers tonight because for all their shittiness, they, they match up decently with the Oilers. Um, I said before Tuesday, back to the Oilers. I said before Tuesday, you need to go 2-2-1 two, two, and one on this roadie. Well, one's out of the way. They should get the second out of the way tonight. And then three ironically could come, not that they need to win a third, but they need to at least get a point out of one of the next three. The third ironically could come Saturday because for whatever reason, they've played Vegas tough in their two seasons in the league, which doesn't seem right because the Oilers have been at the bottom of the division and the Knights have been at the top. Vegas has a shitty blue line right now. They've lost some depth. Flurry's been really inconsistent this season. Like, it's not an unwinnable game. Not for the Oilers anyway. Teams are winning in Vegas now. It's not the, you know, it's it's not the uh, the problem it was for teams the first year they're in the league. Like, uh, and again, I think Arizona's unlikely given the short turnaround. And then the Avs will be nearly impossible to beat Wednesday given how the Oilers pumped them so bad last week with half their lineup out. I don't know what the... I can't think anyway off the top of my head. I know Landis Cog will be out. I'm not sure what the story is on Rantanen. Grubauer is back. And I mean, those are the big three, obviously, for them. So, yeah, uh, I, I definitely don't think they can win in Colorado. But... It's a it's a must win tonight. I know that sounds ridiculous, given how good they've played, and given how, yeah, like just given everything. I I know that sounds ridiculous, given how early it is in the season. But it's yeah, it, it's I I'd, I'd call tonight a must win. It's going to be fun to see this D with Larson back tonight, though. Like this gives them three quality pairings. I just really hope Caleb Jones stays up. You know when Benning gets back and everything. Like it's ironic Benning got hurt because I said last week like I'd pull Benning out, keep Jones in when Larson's back. Well now they don't have to do that. Um, you know a focus that's gonna it's come up a little bit to this point. It's gonna come up more and more. What do you look to sign Baron Jones to? And again, this actually this this might tie in with Hall because because with Taylor Hall, if you do that, you very likely have to just bridge Baron Jones. But if you don't have Hall, you might be able to lock both guys up. And I, I've said this before too. Like one reason Bear might not be on the top power play unit yet, it very well could be that they don't want to run his numbers up. Could be wrong on that. That's a little conspiracy theorish, but yeah, it's possible. Although we'll find out now that Larson's back because I think you can point to Larson being gone and Bear having to take on so much responsibility as the reason why Bear wasn't on the top power plane. You don't want to run a kid's numbers up that high or his ice time up that high. But in both the cases of Jones and Bear, I believe you could get them on five to six year deals for cheap. Like and cheap being like three to four mil per somewhere in that range. And neither guy is given any indication throughout their development that they aren't worth it. Like they just they just seem like the most coachable kids. And yeah, I didn't have this, but like like, isn't that the downfall of Jesse Pugliarvi? Like, if, if Pugliarvi was anything coachable, he'd be a star right now. And even seeing some clips of his in Finland this season, like, he's still refusing to take the puck to the net and dominate like he has the ability to do. And it's, oh man, it's just such a shame because like, the, kids, the kids should be a star. And even me, if you go back and listen to these podcasts last year, I'm still the guy screaming, this guy's going to be a star. This guy's going to be a star. This guy's going to be a star. He's he's a late bloomer. He's got late bloomer written all over him. I was perhaps his biggest backer, and I've bailed on him. And I love how Marcus Leto, his his agent, for those who don't know, he'll go to the media and he'll threaten... that and i mean Pulley Arvey hasn't even been in the news this week but that's i just bringing up that jones and bear thing I'm just thinking about it Like leto tries to threaten that, that he's gonna stay in finland all season and the media thinks oh this puts a gun to ken holland's head no means nothing his value is in the fucking toilet right now guys holy Harvey wants his NHL career to resume. He'll have to do it in Edmonton and or looks like it anyways. And he'll have to have to do what Jonathan Duran did, which is play his way into a trade. You know, it's kind of a give and take here. Like, we're not going to trade you until you give us a reason to trade you because we need to get value for you. You were the fourth overall pick and should have been the third overall pick with your talent. Yeah, it's jeez. I do, I do kind of think it. It, it's, it might be possible here that you get to a point where you get to late here this month because it's got to be done by December first. A GM who might really want him might feel the pressure and go to Ken Holland on maybe November twenty ninth, twenty eighth, whatever have you. And say to Ken, okay, what do you want? We want, we believe that we can fix this kid. What do you want for him? Well, I want this and that. Okay, done. Because we think that we're going to get a superstar out of this. I think with any Pulley RV deal, it'll have to be uh, incentive-laden. You know, it uh, conditional draft picks. You know, moves up to a, a second if, moves up to a first if uh is only a third if and then a prospect attached to it i think that's probably the best way you know quality prospect attached to it uh looking at the blues or sorry no looking at the hurricanes um like a rumor was with the hurricanes that i can't remember if it was the canes were willing to give him up or the Oilers wanted dominic bach Whew, that's intriguing and it's not intriguing. Like I don't think Bach can be a superstar in the league or anything like that. Like I, I still will say, Poliari can be a star player in the league. I don't think he's gonna be because I just don't think he's coachable. You know, I, I, I hear some of the stuff putting all the pieces together. It seems to me like Poliari is w- one of the most stubborn hockey players on the planet right now. You know, the the fact that he won't come back to Edmonton, the fact that he didn't want to go down to the AHL, the fact that his game isn't changing and isn't becoming more of a pro-style game, uh, just seems like a very um, misguided kid right now. Seems like he's he needs a proper mentor and he's not getting it. You know, I don't think he's a bad guy, but I just think he thinks he knows better. I don't think pull I've always said this. Pulley RV, I think, is a lot smarter kid than people think. They see that joker smile and they and he's always got it on his face and they think, oh, there's a dipshit. Like that's what a lot of people think. Oilers, non-Oilers fans think that. Oh, there's just an idiot. No, he's he's much smarter than people give him credit for. I'm just not sure that Pugliarvi is as smart as what Pugliarvi thinks, he, or how smart Pugliarvi thinks he is. That might be the shortcoming. But anyway, that does it. Twenty-four ten. I was slightly under an hour before. Wow, I thought this would go at least two hours, hour and a half. That ain't too bad. I, I would have had time to talk Flyers hockey not Philadelphia Flyers hockey. No, no, Flyers Athletic Club hockey, or as the pizza place once billed us in Wainwright, the Flyers Ethnic Club. Now we became the Flyers Athletic Club because we lost our sponsor. We were the L and L Flyers, which is a company in Lloydminster, owned by the great, well, partially owned by the great Brent Morbutter, who technically is who hired me to do the Lloydminster Bobcats broadcast along with my buddy Shane Tomer uh, yeah we had another big win out in Marwain last night against a lot of close friends of mine I grew up in Marwain it's never feels good to to beat the Imperials they're near and dear to my heart I have one of their old jerseys somewhere in my house it's how near and dear they are to me I stole it out of my brother's hockey bag one time and never gave it back to anyone. I wore that Imperials jersey my first year in hockey. The Marwaine flyweights, coached by the great Dale Wells. Of course everybody knows who Dale Wells is. Oh, I hear a garage door opening, which means Steph is home, which means Griff is about to bark. She's about to march in and give me shit for something not being clean. I better wrap up this podcast. I'll get to the flyers some other time. Trust me, lots to talk about on that front. Uh, Until next time, I'm Tyler Campbell. Please subscribe. Thanks for listening.